Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Ocean State Sidelines. I'm Brendan McGarr, a sports writer with the Pawtucket Times Woonsocket Call. Pleased to be joined by Phil Martelli Jr., associate head coach of the Bryan men's basketball team. Uh, Phil, appreciate the time. Uh, it's early September. I know the NFL, they, they've kicked off the season. College football's in full, in, uh, full effect, but I'm sure like you and a lot of people, basketball's on your mind. It's going to be here before you know it. Certainly is, and I appreciate you having me. You're, you're the hardest working man in Rhode Island sports, and we all know that. So I appreciate uh, you carving out a few minutes to talk to somebody like me. So well, I appreciate you spending some time with me. But uh, let's dive into it. Um, I want to start off, Phil, about your dad. You know, Phil Martelli, senior. You know, he's now in Michigan. But you saw your dad in three different perspectives: the dad growing up, the dad you play for at St. Joe's, and the dad you had a chance to work for for the one year when you were the uh, director of program administration for St. Joe's, just basketball wise, and maybe even personal, how big of an influence was your dad on your life? Huge. Um, you know, from the time I was born, he was a, he was a high, head high school coach in the Philadelphia Catholic league, uh, which he would tell you was his, was always his dream job, you know, was to be a head high school coach in Philadelphia, especially in the Catholic league, which is, uh, very prestigious. So he was the coach at Bishop Kendrick, uh, which actually isn't even a, even around anymore uh, in Norristown, Pennsylvania. So from the very beginning, we were going to games, going to practices. Um, you know, one of the funny stories from my childhood is the first time he brought me out, you know, I was whatever, maybe three years old and brought me out to meet his team at half court. And it was the first time I was in a huddle and I, I peed my pants. So, you know, I, I guess I guess I was destined to coach and be in those huddles the rest of my life after that. But, uh, you know, just going in the stories of going with him and, uh, you know, scouting games, whether he was a high school coach or when when he eventually moved to St. Joe's as an assistant, uh, you know, going to, to recruiting trips with him, scouting, uh, you know, doing all that stuff. And it was never forced on us. You know, my brother's a coach, too. He's he's down at BCU. Uh you know, it just, it's just something that we kind of being around it, you just fell in love with that, uh, that idea of being part of a team. And it's something that I always talk about. I just love being part of a team. So when, when it was as a player, it was great. And now being able to continue to do it as a coach, uh, even better, but, you know, it's funny to see, to look back. The one thing that stands out to me a lot when I see old, old videos or pictures or whatever is how young he looked. And I never thought he was that young, but then I look at it and I'm like, man, he, he was, he looked pretty young, you know, when those first couple of years as a head coach. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been quite a, quite an evolution, you know, from the guy that couldn't put, uh, he'd run out of gas once a month because he didn't have any money to put in the gas tank, you know, for a long time. And to now to be able to do what he's done in basketball and the influence he's had, uh, you know, on people and on the sport, uh, it's been something special to watch. You played for your dad at a time when St. Joe's, you know, the a couple NCAA tournament appearances for you while you were there, but they were making their way and they appeared in the final four, I think the year after you graduated. What was that time like for you as a player, just to see the development of maybe of a Jeremy Nelson and a Delonte West to take that step to become not only one of the premier programs in the Atlantic 10, but that year that uh, they went to the final four? Yeah, so, so it was Elite Eight. It was a fingernail away from the Final Four, but uh, not that not that we hang on to that and think about that every day. But uh, it, it was a really special time. For me personally, I knew I wanted to coach. You know, when I was in probably seventh or eighth grade, I, I looked around. I didn't see a lot of, you know, 
five ten, five ten unathletic guys running around the NBA. So that dream was kind of pushed on the back burner a little bit, but I knew I wanted to coach. And when it came time to go to college, I, I wanted to play for him. And I used the term play loosely. I was a walk on. I we had good teams, like you said, so I got in some games, but um I just wanted to be around that. I wanted to be around that environment. I wanted to be around those guys. And and it was a great experience for me because one, he treated me like everybody else. And he always has treated his players super well. But, um, you know, when I deserve to kick in the butt, I got to kick in the butt. When I deserve to pat on the back. I got to pat on the back, just like every other guy. And those guys in the locker room knew that I was number 10. I wasn't Phil Jr. in that locker room. I was number 10. I was just like them. I was with them. You know, the days where it was hard and they're in there, you know, coach this and coach that and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, like it wasn't I wasn't some spy that was running back to tell them. And, you know, I was fortunate to play with some great teammates uh, that really helped that experience. But it, it really was a special thing because his first year they lost in the uh, NIT championship game kind of out of nowhere. The next year, again, out of nowhere, ends up in the Sweet 16. Uh, they lost to Kentucky, a Kentucky team that played for the national championship game, uh, played in the national championship game that year. Um, so that was like, you know, you're like, wow, this is you know, his first two years as a head coach. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is going to be great. And then it was three kind of average years, including my freshman year. And uh, Jameer came and Jameer was never Jameer never uh, played an Atlantic 10 game where he was in second place for the whole regular season. He was first place. We, we won the first game every year and won a couple games to be in first place for, for those three years and really four years for him. Uh, you know, Delonte came the next year and we, we had some good pieces. Marvin O'Connor was a really good player uh, who had transferred from Villanova. Bill Phillips had transferred from William & Mary was a really good player. Naeem Crenshaw was a really good player. And then it just kind of built. And, and, you know, to watch where it went, uh, from this small school that no one really paid much attention to. And you win a game here, you win a game there to being on a national stage to playing Gonzaga on ESPN and Madison square garden to playing in, you know, high level NCAA tournament games. Uh, it, it's really a credit to my dad, his staff, Monte Ross, Mark Bass, uh, Matt Brady, you know, all the guys that had worked under him at that time that really built it uh, and, and turned it into something incredibly special. And then you graduate you turn over to the coach yeah. side. So it, it was addition by subtraction. I left. They go to the Elite Eight. You know, we we lost in the first round of the tournament my senior year to Auburn. And then I left. <laughs> I left. It was addition by subtraction. They went on their way. <laughs> but then you go Manhattan, Niagara, Delaware. How, you know, did you maybe help? Did your dad help you maybe try to get you lined up for an assistant job? Or how much did you want to say, you know, I want to do this on my own? You know, I appreciate everything you've done for me up to this point, but I have to forward my own path. I want to follow in your line of work. However, I don't want to rely on you and your name to get me to where I want to go. There's no doubt. And and it's funny because when I was first leaving there, I didn't know anything else. And certainly he has helped all the way along the way. Uh, you know, the, the connections that he has, that, that we have as a family, different people. Uh, you know, like Gino Ariyama was his you know, his assistant coach in high school at Bishop Kenrick. So Gino, the women's coach at UConn, uh, he was close with Howie Dickman. That's how I got my first job at Central Connecticut. Howie was the head coach at Central Connecticut through Gino. You know, I lived at Gino's house for a couple of weeks before I, you know, settled in and, and got an apartment. 
but um, so certainly using those connections, using him, using that, that uh, kind of platform that he has to kind of connect with people and things like that. But when I left, when I graduated and went to Central, if I were to go back in time to that 22-year-old guy and say, like, what do you think is going to happen? I would have thought I'd been right back at St. Joe's as an assistant for him in whatever number of years. And I kind of navigated those early years, like thinking that, that that was like where I need to get to, where I need to get to. And then I was around and I was at Central, was at Manhattan, and then went to Niagara. And I realized, man, there's a lot of really good people at a lot of really good places out here. It doesn't have to be that one place. And that was huge for me. That was very eye-opening. And there were some tough, there, there were some tough days. You know, Howie Dickman was, was I, I love that man to death. You know, he was a hard guy to work for as a young guy. You know, uh, Bobby Gonzalez in Manhattan, tough guy to work for as a young guy. At the time, felt really tough. Now, you know, 18 years later, it's like, wow, I, I am so glad I worked for those guys early on because they they were able to instill in me things that I'm still using today, um, you know, as a coach, as a person. So that was tough because I'd only seen it one way. So now you're seeing different guys do it different ways. And it, it really, really was eye-opening. Even growing up around the business, I don't, I didn't necessarily understand that. And then you get there and you see that and you're like, wow, okay, there is a different way to do this. There is really good places and really good people and places that, that, um, you know, I could see myself growing and, and, you know, wanting to be at for five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it would be, and, and kind of forge my own path. So, you know, certainly I, I'm thankful to have his name because of how well-respected he is and uh, the, how much good he has done, uh, but certainly want to continue to try to forge my own path and say, you know, I, I he won whatever number of games. Can I win one more? You know, can I become a head coach and win one more? You know, that's, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the, the competition legacy side, I guess, you know, that, that eventually, you know, hopefully I can get there. You know, pivoting away from your dad, I just want to go back to that one season you spent on uh, coach Gonzalez's staff in Manhattan coincided with uh, Pawtucket native Jeff Xavier on that team. What do you remember about uh, Jeff X? I think that was his sophomore year. And then, after that season, that's when uh, Coach Gonzalez left to go coach at Seton Hall and then Jeff transferred to go to PC. But, you know, I remember coming up to see, you know, your uh, Manhattan take on Marist. And it was one of those hostile gyms and everything like that. Typical, uh, you know, era, you know, atmosphere for that league. But what do you remember about Jeff X from that season? Jeff's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, still in contact with him today. And uh, he uh, it's funny. We we recruited him when I was at Central Connecticut and I'd seen him playing, I think, probably like a hoop group camp or something. And I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, like I, I my perception of him in my limited viewings of him was like a little bit like. Not like coasting up and down the floor, but kind of just that smooth game gliding, I think sometimes. Uh, yeah. And, and at Central, we were like this hard nose, rough, tough, you know, it was a wrestling match every game. So I was like, I don't know where he fits. And then I go to Manhattan and it was Jeff's sophomore year. And I just remember uh, one, he was a great person. I, I, I loved Jeff to death. There were quite a few nights I had to go pick him up at the bus station because he was, you know, coming up here to, to see his family or see whoever. Um, you know, we just grew very close uh, over that time. And, and that was a very successful year at Manhattan. It was a 
also somewhat tumultuously tumultuous year mm-hmm. um, at, at Manhattan. But um, you know, he was he was a constant, uh, you know, a very steady guy. But he played so hard. You know, that was one thing. Like he he got to a point where he played so hard, and he was a really good player, and he could score, and he could shoot, and do all those things. But he he would just play so hard. And the one image that always comes to my mind is I'm pretty sure it was in our at that time in the Mac, if you won the regular season, you got to buy to the semifinals. So we were playing St. Peter's in the semifinals and he dove and knocked his two front teeth out in the game, dove for a ball and knocked his two front teeth out and like swatted the teeth away over to the bench and kept playing. And it's things like that, that you just, you don't see that often, especially for a guy that it was really coming into his own and really becoming a good player. Uh, but he was hungry. You know, he didn't play much as a freshman and, and wanted to prove himself and, uh, you know, he was tremendous for us that year on a team that, you know, lost its best player in January and was able to still win a regular season championship. Uh, but, yeah, he's he is one of my all-time, all-time, all-time favorites in, you know, whatever it's been, 18, 19 years of coaching. You know, he ranks up there as, as one of the guys I just love. And, and, like I said, proud to call him a friend today and still in touch and, you know, all these years later. You know, you retired from playing uh, – uh professional basketball recently what do you think the future is with someone like that could you see him being a coach one day absolutely and and him and I have talked about that a bunch uh, you know of kind of finding that way finding that niche um, you know he had an unbelievable unbelievable career to, to still be playing and the records he broke and the things he did uh, you know playing overseas and um, he has so much value uh to, to any staff at any level, um, you know, he, he's, he, when he finally cracks through and, and gets on a staff, he will be an incredible asset to those players, that coaching staff, that head coach, uh, you know, so it's just a matter of time for him to figure out, you know, where he wants that to be and, you know, how he wants to go about that. But uh, once he does, and I, I believe that with him, like he, he's meant to coach, he's meant to be around the game meant to mentor guys like he that's what he's supposed to be doing it's now 2018 you uh, spent a season I think under your with your dad as director of player program administration St. Joe's but all of a sudden there's an opportunity that comes along to come to Bryant and work with Jared Grasso how did you kind of connect with coach Grasso and what led you to uh, Smithfield ultimately so me and Jared we've been friends a long time we started working camps together he's a year older than me um but, you know, we were I think we were maybe still in college or we were just out of college uh, working camps and um, we just kind of connected right away. You know, it was, it's funny. Him and I talk about it a bunch. Like there's, there was a fairly large group of us, you know, like our our coaching draft class, if you want, you know, like that that started together and working these camps and just kind of became buddies and things like that. And, you know, Truthfully, a lot of those guys have kind of fallen away, you know, have gotten out of business, whether it was on their own or by someone else's doing. But um, we just have we've been friends a long time. And, you know, when the opportunity came and he called me and um, I said to him, I was like, look, I I believe in you. Like, I believe in him wholeheartedly. I know what he was capable of doing. I knew, you know, it was just a matter of time till he got a shot and took off with it. And I remember saying to him, like, I just want to come up and just see the place. You know, I, I'd never been to Bryant. 
we played Bryant when I was coaching at Delaware. We played them in the garden in a great game uh, right before Christmas one year. So I said to them, I was like, I just want to come up and see it. And, um, you know, came on campus and obviously I believed fully in him. And then when you see, you know, the, the support here and the administration and Bill Smith and John Rupert and, you know, at that time, President Makeley, now President Cattell, like you see what those people um, are about, you could feel it. So that's kind of how it came about. And I had high expectations for it, to be honest with you. You know, I had high expectations for us and for, for him. And uh, we've met all those and, and then some, you know, in four years. Absolutely. And uh, I guess did Jared W., I guess the uh, schedule guru, the minute, you, you officially came on staff and, you know, let's go back to 2018 and how different it was maybe to schedule non-conference games for Bryant, as opposed to today where the program's been elevated. And I'm sure when you get that call or you try to make that call, uh, coaches are probably, you know, either they say thanks, but no thanks, or they quickly hang up. I, I wish they would quickly hang up and I wish they would say thanks, but no thanks. Instead you get like a runaround of, uh, you know, whatever, but yeah. So you know, when, when I first, I don't even know if I was here yet. And I said to him, look, what can I take off your plate? Um, you know, he was obviously going a million miles a minute and recruiting and trying to, you know, figure out what the roster was going to look like and get himself settled and da, 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 da. So, you know, I said, look, I, I can do that. I have all the connections I can, you know, and, and to be honest with you, most of the schedule was done um, again, because, because of what you're talking about when, when you're coming off three and 28, everybody in the country is calling you saying, Hey, we want to play. Hey, we want to play. Hey. So that was easy, you know, and, and uh, you know, there was quite a few long standing of those new England games that had always happened. So, you know, we're able to plug it in, um, you know, fairly, fairly easily. So now you fast forward. And, and one of the things at that time was, especially scheduling like those high major games, those guarantee games that we play, you know, those teams, they, it actually was a little tougher with them because at the time they wanted, um, they wanted good teams from the low level leagues. So like my brother at VCU, he'd call me and say, who's going to be good in the Northeast conference, uh, St. Francis PA. All right. I'm going to try and schedule St. Francis PA. All right. FDU will be good. I'm going to try to schedule FDU. So they were trying to schedule it for seating purposes for NCAA tournament purposes for, RPI than now net, you know, purposes, trying to play really good teams, you know, lower level teams that they were going to beat, but were also going to go win, you know, 15, 16 games in their, in their conference. So, so we were getting a little pushback on that. And then fast forward to now where they've just flipped it. And now they've said in the net, it's better to play much lower level teams and, the bottom, you know, 300 to 350 in the net rather than play, you know, the 125s to 175s, which is where, you know, we've kind of been and been projected. So, you know, went from like get better and we'll play you to then it's now, no, we want to play the worst teams. You know, we want to play. So that's been a struggle getting the higher level teams. Uh, and I've told a couple of them, like, look, just go look back. We, we played Houston this year. Look what they did to us. Like, you don't want to play us. You're a high major team that doesn't want to pay us. Like, you know, like, look what they did to us uh, early in the year. And but still, it's been a struggle. And, you know, a lot of the 
same level teams, uh, you know, the mid to low level division one teams, it's just been a struggle to get them uh, to play as we still have one. I mean, it's September 12th. I've never been in this situation and, and have been at really good places with really good teams and have it be September 12th and still trying to finalize a game uh, is unique for me. Um, but it is, it's a credit to Jared, to what he's done with the program. It's a credit to our players. Uh, I just wish as you know, I wish it hadn't been, you know, seven or eight months here of like, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, like, well, what if I call that guy again? And, you know, the number of phone calls and texts and emails that go back and forth. Recruiting, recruiting is obviously an incredibly vital part of the program. Uh, and it is, it can be hard at times, but uh, scheduling is the most difficult part of, of it. And, and what's gone now is what's really hard is, you know, if you look at it and I, now that everybody's releasing their schedule, I go, look, because it's all guys I've talked to. I'm like, well, they didn't play us on that day. Who did they play? And when you look at it, the, the one thing that's happened is, especially with the big teams, you know, like maybe for Providence, like they've got, you know, a lot of these teams now are playing 20 league games. So, you know, if you're playing 20 games in the Big Ten or Big East or whatever, that leaves you 11 games to play with. Well, three going to an MTE, that's 23. They're playing a Big East such and such challenge, that's 24. They're playing uh, a Gavit Games game, that's 25. So now there's there's just not that many games left. And if you have local rivalries like, you know, Villanova does in Philadelphia or Providence does with, with uh, you know, URI, it, it just limits the opportunities and limits the opportunities for us. Uh, the disappointing one is the low is, is like more of the local flair, you know, in the COVID year, everybody was like, we got to work together and schedule blah, 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 blah. And now, you know, we're right back to where we were, where it's like, well, yeah, we could maybe play you, but we're talking to somebody else. And, you know, it's, it's disappointing to see because the local games to me should always happen uh, And credit to Mike Martin, you know, he'll play us twice a year if we could, you know, and, and, you know, we'll play, we'll keep that going every year, but some of these others, that have uh, kind of all of a sudden gone blank when they were blowing my phone up four years ago. You know, it, I know why, you know? Yep. It, well, it's a credit, like you said, to the program elevating itself. And I just want to take the opportunity to put a bow on last season, how important it was for the program to take that next step and become more of a brand. I think when you um, look at this past season, Bryant became a, a national brand almost when people we're talking about you, whether it was about the players or the atmosphere at the Chase, at the Chase Athletic Center. You know how important was that season, the success, win the NEC uh, tournament, the regular season, and going to the uh, NCAA tournament. Such a breakthrough for the program. Absolutely, and and to be able to do something for the first time at a program, there, there's only so many places and so many things that you can do for a first time at these programs, and so to go to the first you know, division one NCAA tournament uh, is super special. And, you know, they just put the banners up and to see those go up and that, that feeling come back. It, it's really awesome. Um, and it, it's, it's a full credit to, uh, you know, Jared first for his vision of the program and seeing it through. And he's had this vision from day one. There was no doubt in his mind uh, and, and has driven himself and all of us every single day uh, with that in mind, you know, to build this thing and to make it, you know, relevant, not just on a, you know, not just on the Rhode Island stage, not just on the New England stage, but on the national stage. Um, 
you know, so, so to have that vision credit to Bill Smith, you know, certainly his vision of hiring Jared and, and putting the pieces in place and the support that he's given us, it's a credit to everyone across campus. You know, I said it, there was a, there was a uh, pep rally the day of the Wagner game that, that I spoke at um, on campus. And, you know, that championship was for all of them because they've all played a part in this. You know, our compliance team has played a part in it. Our business office has played a part in it. Our admissions office has played a huge part in it. So up and down the line, our facilities people, like everyone has played a part in this um, because it was a complete rebuild. It was complete rebuild, not just on the court, but off the court. It was complete rebuild of this is how things need to be done. You know, and, and certainly over these four years, maybe m- more than any other four-year period of my coaching career, like the, the NCAA landscape has changed dramatically in that time with transfers and NIL and Austin money and cost of attendance and this and that and conference realignment. All these things have been happening, happening, happening. So to be able to have that vision and to have people come and support you and say, we're in this with you. What do we need to do? How do we need to do this? What, what do we need to tweak? And, and so maybe sometimes push back and say, no, we can't do that. We're Brian. We can't, we can't do that right now. But this is maybe an alternative. Uh, it was huge. It was huge. And, and, you know, we sold a dream to these guys, Charles Bride and, you know, uh, Peter Kiss and those guys. We sold a dream to them when we were recruiting them. And for that to become a reality and now to be able to sell to the next guys, like this is what it is. This is Brian basketball. You know, it's it's not just the vision of Brian basketball. This is Brian basketball. Uh, it, it's really exciting. And and what I love about it, to be honest with you, Brendan, like the biggest thing for me is like when you do things like that, now you set a new standard. And it's like the next day, hey, the championship was great and we celebrated and we had a good time. But that next day, it's like, okay, how do we do this and do it better? You know, and that's what started with the transfer portal in the spring and started with summer workouts and continues now and hopefully continues through is like okay now now we got to go another step and another step and that's what I love I love the challenge of that and the the, you know that kind of gets my rush going of like all right like that was great and that's awesome for that team and for all those people but now let's do something special so they're talking about something different and I think too uh, Phil what's more impressive about how last season unfolded is that if you go back to the 2019-20 season there were three talented freshmen on this roster that, you know, with, with time and if they all stuck around, I'm talking about Benson Lynn, Michael Green, and of course, Charles Pride, that that could have been your core mm-hmm. to make some noise in the NEC and then maybe to finally break through. You know, things didn't work out. COVID happens. You build a, you know, a, a almost not an entirely new roster, but you bring in someone like Peter Kiss, and that's the breakthrough moment, I guess. You know, when you look back at how Brian transformed itself, to a basketball recognition and name brand, you know, it went from being players who you recruit out of high school to hitting the portal and hitting it hard. Uh, there's no doubt. And, and, you know, that's where, you know, Jared, obviously they were doing that at Iona, uh, you know, our best teams at uh, Niagara and Delaware, you know, when we won championships, when I was coaching at those places, like we had high impact transfers, not as many, as we do now, but had high impact transfers. So to be, again, that's Jared's vision and, and, you know, him staying ahead of things and seeing like, this is, this is what it has to be. This is where it needs to be. So, you know, obviously Pete was a huge addition, but, you know, for last year's team, 
Luis Hurtado being a two-year starter, you know, eventually becoming a starter on those teams uh, was huge. Adam Alita coming, you know, being a starter, you know, transferring from Northern Kentucky. Greg Calixt was a was a huge addition for us uh, with Hall Elijahs, who was another transfer. You know, having those having that uh, you know those guys come and be ready to play and take the, the steps that they did uh, was huge for us. And and the reality is, if you look at the top four teams this year in in this past year in the Northeast Conference, us Wagner, uh, Mount St. Mary's, and LIU. They were all. They were the oldest teams. The teams that were young playing with freshmen were not winning, just like we weren't when we were playing with freshmen and finishing in eighth place. You know, they were given all they had, but the reality was that's who we were—a seventh, eighth place team. Uh, you know, until we got older. And you know, let's fast forward to this past summer. You know, you bring in a lot of new players. You still have Charles Fry to be the centerpiece as a coaching staff when. You had the guys from the first moment together for the first time you went on campus to maybe giving them a break and sending them home for the summer. How much did you guys as a staff see progress and believe, you know, there's still a lot of work to do and things like that, but I, we like the direction of where we're heading as we kind of transition from the NEC to the America East. There, there's no doubt. I mean, that those eight weeks in the summer were huge. Uh, for us, basketball-wise, uh, getting them to understand the pace that we play at because we play, as you well know, we play one as one of the fastest paces, paces in the country um, to understand just really just how we do things that, Hey, we, you know, like if we're taping this right now, it's, you know, we started at nine 30 in the morning on a Monday morning, there were six or seven guys in there, uh, you know, that didn't have class that were in there shooting before class on their own, you know, didn't have to be told to like, and that, that came from the summer. That came from guys understanding that this is what the standard is for, for this place. And, uh, you know, understanding that, that we're all chasing something. We're all coming from different places, and we all have a chip on our shoulder for whatever reason. Uh, you know, so we're all chasing these goals. And this is the work that needs to be put in every single day to reach those goals. So, you know, it, it's huge. And then, you know, certainly the non-basketball piece is getting those guys acclimated, getting them uh, to be as cohesive as possible because it is a talented group. So with that, there has to be a, a cohesion that comes together. Um, and that started in the summer and continues today. My last question for you, Phil, you know, we, we talk, we see all these recruits, you know, they're going to different football games and things like that. You know, how important is it maybe for you guys as a basketball staff to, you know, bring guys on campus, maybe for a football weekend and, you know, just maybe going back to this past Saturday when URI came up to Bernie Stadium, how much is that maybe a chance for you guys as a staff to bring a recruit on campus and show them more so this is the support that you will get if you come to Bryant? Yeah, it's to be honest with you, it has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, now with the transfer stuff, so many of the visits are happening in the spring. Um, you know, we'll have some people come up, come through the fall and, and things like that. But more of it's happening in the spring. Really, for us, it's getting that message out there and showing what those crowds look like, you know, at our games, what the when people get on campus, they definitely feel that sense of camaraderie and that support, you know, whether it's for us, whether it's for football, whether it's for baseball, whether it's for lacrosse or women's soccer or tennis or whoever, you know, people feel that support. So, you know, that's huge. But, but prior to that, I think it's just getting that message out there, those pictures, those videos from those games 
say, look at this. Like you're not getting this at probably 97% of the other places in the country. And you're definitely not getting it at 99% of the places at our level. So, you know, a lot of these other places you're walking into an empty gym, no students, you know, it just is what it is. We're here. There is this support. There's an excitement. Uh, you know, I, I walk around, I was at a function on Saturday and, you know, I had people telling me like, yeah, I'm trying to get season tickets that, that I don't even know if they've ever been to a game that now all of a sudden they went from, you know, you know, people would stop me four years ago and be at my son's AU tournament or something. They'd be like, Oh yeah, Brian. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I could tell they were like, are they division one? Are they not, you know, what, who do they play? And um, to now where it's like people coming up going like, I'm trying to get tickets. I want to be, when's your home opener? I'm trying to be there. I'm trying to, you know, and, and I hope for, you know, for this group that that excitement can start day one and, you know, on November 7th and carry all the way through March 11th and hopefully beyond uh, because they deserve it. The school deserves it. And, you know, that the, the support we get, again, not just at the games, but just walking around, walking through campus, the, the support we get from the different uh, departments on campus, the academic departments, that is, that's what I grew up around. It's what I grew up with. And that's my favorite thing about this. You know, I, I spent a year in the D league and the thing, the biggest thing that was different was there was not that camaraderie. You know, you kind of went to work, went to practice, you came home and that was it. And what I love about college is that like I can walk across campus right now and see, you know, somebody from admissions, somebody from, you know, development, somebody from whatever department and, and have a genuine conversation with and a genuine friendship with, and to have them support us and hopefully we can do whatever we can to support all of them. But, you know, it, it's an exciting time here. Uh, you know, we're excited for, for November 7th. We got plenty of work to do, you know, eight weeks from today, but, you know, over these eight weeks, we got plenty of work to do, but uh, you know, I, I hope that not just the Bryant community, but the Rhode Island basketball community will come out and support and, you know, fill that chase up. You know, we want, we want those, we want those lines of people waiting outside to get in uh, to start on November 7th, not just March 7th. Phil, you're officially off the hot seat. Um, I'm sure you had your phone on silent during this time. I hope that, you know, once you turn it back on, there's a couple of coaches that you can iron out that schedule. I'm sure that and then you can put that issue to bed. And you and me, you and me both there, Brennan, you and me both. But um you know, this is a, you know, it just feels like, Phil, you know, just for spitball, from my perspective, it feels like it's just a continuation of last season, just the momentum that not only you guys built, but also PC built. You know, URI has a new coaching staff down there. I think uh, Mike Martin, hopefully he turns around this year down at Brown. I just feel like, you know, it's just a continuation of last year. And, you know, hopefully all the D1 programs in the state just keep that momentum going. There's no doubt. And, that, and that's what I hope for, you know, obviously first and foremost, I want us to win and go to the tournament, but you know, I, I just think it would be awesome to have all four teams, you know, in the tournament winning. Um, you know, it, it, I think it's good for everybody. It's good for the state. It's good for the basketball community. You know, I think it's good for all of us, you know, when, when we're all good. Yeah. I think that's just, it just raises that excitement level, you know, and, and, you know, has everybody running to see, okay, you know, when's, when's Brian's game? When's PC's game? When's URI play? When's Brown play? Like, that's what I hope for. You know, I hope to be able to turn on the TV one of these nights and say, yeah, and, you know, like all four teams are all winning streaks and top of their league and have a chance to go to the tournament. No, uh, great stuff, Phil. And uh, 
we will end it there. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this latest episode of Ocean State Sidelines. We'll be back with a fresh episode relatively soon. But until then, thank you very much. Thanks, Brendan.